you have your Bibles, open to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and uh, my sermon title this morning is God's Answer for America, God's Answer for America, and Independence Day, I'm thankful for this day, uh, great day to celebrate, I, I, so many of us uh, celebrate Independence Day uh, a lot of different ways, a lot of different memories. I don't know about you guys, but uh, uh, when I was brought up uh, in West Palm Beach, I was, I was a little kid, and uh, every 4th of July, we would go out and watch the West Palm Beach Expos. That's when we had the Montreal Expos. And, uh, but they would have, they had their, their minor league team was down in West Palm. And uh, 4th of July, they would play at home, and we would go out and we'd watch a home game, and at the end of the game, uh, we would have a countdown starting at 10. I mean, the whole stadium, you know, 10, 9, Eight. That means the lights are fixing to go out, so get your kids. And, uh, and, and you get to zero, and the lights shut out, and they start shooting fireworks, man. And we're eating hot dogs and watching fireworks, and, uh, and it was a great night, great memories. But you know, when I think of, of, of Independence Day, the 4th of July as a nation, it's so much more than eating hot dogs and watching fireworks. Uh, what a day it was when we declared our independence from Great Britain, and really, really, it was a declaration of utter dependence upon God Almighty. Uh, that's what the 4th of July is all about. I'm thankful today to be an American. When I think of, of where we are, uh, this is the land that I love. I, I think of where we are, and we're in, a day, we're in a day where you almost feel bad for saying that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not an affront to other people to say, I love America. It's the land that I love. It's my homeland. It's my heartland. And we all have that. And so today I, I am, I am so thankful and so proud to be an American. I, I know that we're plagued with a lot of problems. You look around the nation and we've got a lot of problems, but I would say in spite of our problems, we're the greatest nation on the planet. And I praise God for that. I'm thankful for his goodness to us. When I think of us as a nation today and I think of the freedoms that we have to be able to gather together like we do. Uh, uh, it's because God has been so abundantly good to us. When you're talking about the United States of America, uh, uh, we're not, we're not uh, where we are today uh, because we are a smarter group of people or a more diligent or harder working kind of people or, or, or a better group of people than the rest of the planet. There's a couple of reasons why I believe uh, we have experienced the hand of God, the blessings of God as a people group. There's a couple of reasons. The first and, and, and really most important reason I believe that God has had his hand on America and has blessed America and has preserved America in spite of America is because of our relationship with the nation of Israel. All the way back in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter number 12, the Bible says in verse number three, there was a covenant that was made with Abraham. It was repeated multiple times throughout the book of Genesis, uh, from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob. And if you remember, it was Jacob whose name was turned to Israel. The nation of Israel was birthed through them. And, and, and he says in Genesis chapter 12 and in verse number three, and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so I think that because we're allies with the nation of Israel, we've blessed them and God has blessed us as a result. I think about where we are in our relations, our relations with Israel, very strained. One of the reasons why they're so strained because we've got people in common Congress who are Muslims. And can I tell you, I would never, I would never vote for a Muslim. Why? 
because they don't stand for the very reason why we exist as a nation. Not because they're lost. We got a lot of lost people. But because when you're talking about Muslim, Muslim hates Christians and hates Jews and they're not about religious freedom. Y'all all right? We'll get there. Allies. But, but I tell you, I tell you, our biblical beginnings, when you think of our beginnings, one of the problems we have today is, is, is revisionist rewriting our history. Uh, our younger generations not really knowing the truth about our, our history. When you're talking about our biblical beginnings, I'm, I'm not suggesting that, 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 that we have, and by the way, don't ever embrace that we've replaced the nation of Israel because we haven't. They still exist. God still has plans and purposes, even for uh, those people. Uh, but when you think of our beginnings, we've had biblical beginnings, and the Bible says in Psalm 33 and in verse number 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. And when you're talking about our beginnings, if you go back and look at our founding fathers and the statements that are made in history, it's amazing. It is amazing. For example, the Mayflower Compact. You got the pilgrims that are coming. The Mayflower Compact signed, and, 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 they, and, they, and they said this. They stated this in the Mayflower Compact for the glory of God. Why are you coming to America? For the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Mayflower Compact. The Declaration of Independence. What about the Declaration of Independence? They said this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And when you're talking about our founding fathers who wrote the Declaration of Independence, do you know that they believed in moral absolutes? They believed in absolutes, these truths. And today we've embraced something called moral relativism. In other words, what is that? That means if it's right for you, it's right. If it's right for me, it's right. Well, the problem with moral relativism is it doesn't work. It creates anarchy. We can't all be right. There's moral absolutes that exist. And our founding fathers understood that. We hold these truths absolute. We know that there are indeed absolute truths. Truths. Not only did they believe in the absolute truths, they also believed in the sanctity of life. They believed that all men are endowed by their creator, that we have a God Almighty that created us, that I didn't come from an animal. I'm not a monkey. So you might argue with me, but I'm just telling you, when God created us, he created us in his image and in his likeness. And they recognized that. You know, when you tell people long enough that you're, you're no different than the rest of the animals, you know what you get? A bunch of people acting like animals. I think of our beginnings and their biblical beginnings. The first Continental Congress, hey, our first Continental Congress called a national day to prayer. Watch what these politicians said. They said this, why are we calling a national day of prayer? That we may, by sincere repentance and amendment of life, appease God's righteous displeasure and through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ obtain pardon and forgiveness. 
There was a day, there was a day in our beginnings when our politicians made a greater plea for repentance than our pastors are doing today. I was listening to a troubling interview last night and they were interviewing America's pastors, a couple of pastors, if I named them, you'd know them. But they were talking and they were asking the question about why don't we ever hear you calling people to repentance? And the reason is because, well, we're encouragers. But can I tell you something? If you're not calling people to repent, you're just encouraging them on the way to hell. You're not a preacher. I mean, that's, that's all we're doing. Well, and, and, and can, I tell you, can I tell you what they said about a current hot topic? For example, they were talking homosexuality. Why don't, why don't you call people, to home, call people to repentance? So, well, Jesus didn't. Read Matthew 4, the last verse, when they said Jesus started his preaching ministry. You know what he did? You know what he said? You know what's recorded? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't go down a list of what's right and what's wrong. He just said, repent. You name the sin. We all can respond to that one. God help us when, when our politicians are calling people to repentance in a manner that we don't do anymore. And we wonder what's wrong with our country. Elias Boudinot was the president of the First Continental Congress, the president of the First Continental Congress. He made this statement, and what a prophetic statement. He said, our country should be preserved from the dreadful evil of becoming enemies of the religion of the gospel, which I have no doubt but would be the introduction of the dissolution of government and the bonds of civil society. Are we not living that out today? God, help us. I think of our beginnings, and we had biblical beginnings, but what we're experiencing today really is a systematic dismantling of our beginnings. When you think of where we are today, and although we are where we are because it has been a slow fade, it has been many years in the making to where we are today, but you can look and you can say, man, there have been some major decisions as a nation, major decision as a judicial system that has had huge impact on our nation. When you're talking about our nation and some of the decisions that have happened over the years, first of all, you go back to prayer in school when the U.S. Supreme Court said we no longer can have prayer in school. Do you want to know what the prayer was that was prayed and the one that was in question. Do you know, what, you know what was said in that prayer? Here's the prayer in its totality. This was it. They said this. They said, Almighty God, we acknowledge our, de our dependence upon you and beg your blessings on us and on our parents and on our teachers and on our country. Would to God that our students would pray that way today. I mean, and by the way, you, you can't forbid prayer. I promise you, I prayed a lot in school. <laughs> Collectively, Stone versus Graham. Stone versus Graham was a Supreme Court decision in 1980 that said we can no longer have 
the Ten Commandments displayed in public places. We can no longer have the Ten Commandments on display. And this is what the decision said. If posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it would be to induce children to meditate upon them and perhaps obey, and this is not permissible. The First Amendment protects it. So with these two decisions, our nation, our nation, our nation has said the word of God and prayer aren't welcome here anymore. The word of God and prayer as a nation. And we've seen a moral collapse. I mean, we've seen an absolute moral collapse where we are today. I think of, for example, the craziness that, and, and the world that we're living in, and, and God help our young people and our younger generations. But, uh, but the world in which we're living today, Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade, we've, we've had over 62 million little babies been murdered since Roe v. Wade decision. It's a, crazy, it's a crazy world when I can go out and take and, and I, can, I, I, can, I can take an eagle egg and I can break an eagle egg and I can go to prison for that. But you let a woman who's pregnant carrying a baby go into an abortion clinic and they can suck that thing out one piece at a time. Perfectly legal. That's crazy. That's crazy world. It's a crazy world when we have civil unions where we have two men or two women coming together and churches performing them. I mean mainline denominations. Can I tell you, if a church is performing civil unions between two men and two women, they're no longer a church. They probably weren't a church before they started that. the transgender world that we're living in. And by the way, can I, can I just say, this is for the people of God. Listen, listen. The people of God, the church of God, we need to love passionately people who are living in sin. But we need to understand and call sin, sin. The transgender confusion that's warped our younger generations. When God creates us, he creates us man and woman by nature, biologically. And we applaud the confusion. We take Bruce Jenner and we say, man, he's the man or woman or whatever you want to call him of the year. There's something wrong with the nation that goes there. I mean, think about nature, by nature. By nature, I was created a man. God, God created me that way. This morning, this morning, if I were to tell you that, hey, you know what? <clears throat> I really believe this. I believe that God created me a dog, so I start walking on all fours and scratching myself. You'd probably lock me away. You'd say, that's crazy. Is it any less crazy for us to applaud a man that becomes a woman or a woman that becomes a man? We're living in messed up times. It's a messed up world. God help us as a church. The world offers so many answers and suggestions along the way. What do we need to do? How do we fix our problems? And so the world has a lot of different opinions and a lot of different attempts that are being made. One of the attempts made uh, to create the ills of our nation would be indoctrination. Through indoctrination of our children, we'll just reteach them how to think. 
And so we create things, and, and, and not that we created it, but critical race theory, CRT, CRT. CRT is divisive. There's nothing uniting about that. You know, when you're talking about different races and different people on the planet, you don't look at a people group and say, well, they're all this color, therefore they're bad. They're all this color, therefore they're white. Can I tell you, there are good whites and bad whites. There are good blacks and bad blacks. There are good people and bad people. It's not because of the color of their skin, it's because of their actions. When you're talking about racism, racism is wrong at every level. It is a sin against God. God help us. We need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to the basics as churches and stay out of social injustices and preach Jesus Christ because when Jesus Christ gets a hold of the heart, you'll love people. And that's what the church needs to be about. Schools need to be about education, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And then teach the children how to respond properly to authorities. I mean, we're living in a whacked out world where we say, man, you don't trust those people. You don't trust the police. I'm grateful to God for the police. I really am. Do we have some sorry officers? Sure we do. We got sorry preachers too. Sorry of every, of, 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 of every, uh, uh, when you're talking about, you've got sorry teachers. We got sorry preachers. We got sorry police officers. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, the defending of the police is ridiculous. How to respond properly to authority. And by the way, what we have to be careful of is just because you talk about these things, just because I'm not an, a proponent for CRT, don't call me a racist. Are we all right? I'm glad y'all are with me. <laughs> when you look at the state, of our nation today, from where we began to where we are, it leads to disappointment. I'm disappointed greatly. But when you're talking about disappointment, disappointment is inevitable. Discouragement is optional. And this morning, I'm grateful to God that there's hope. I'm not one that says, it's over. Nope. Because of Jesus Christ, we have a hope. And when you're talking about our hope, when you're talking about the hope of America, the hope of America, my hat is not hung on an election. My hat is not hung on a politician or what laws are passed. That's not where we hang our hats. We've always had politicians. Columbus was a politician. Columbus didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where he was when he came. He didn't know where he'd been when he left. And he did it on somebody else's dime. We've always had politicians. We've always had politicians. And I'm grateful to God for godly politicians. <laughs> Vote the sorry ones out. But anyways, I'm thankful for our country, but we do need help. And our help and our hope is not in who governs us. Our help and our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe his answer, hey, listen, the answer for America, God's answer, is not with the lost world, but his people. Me and you.
me and you. Vance Pittman, a pastor from Las Vegas, made a statement and he said this, the problem with America is not the lostness of America, but the lack of desperation in the church. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, I just finished my introduction. We'll get to the message. <laughs> if I shut up the heavens <clears throat> so that there's no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, I know this morning that this is a specific message to the nation of Israel. <clears throat> Entering into a covenant with God and, and God's people and his land are expected to behave. And if they didn't, his judgment would fall. He said, you repent in the midst of that. So it's a specific message for a specific people, but I believe that application can be made to us today. I believe that application can be made to the United States of America and I believe that the church needs to recognize that we are God's people. We are the people of God. And do you know that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said this, he preached a message recorded Matthew 5, 6, and 7, longest sermon we have recorded by Jesus Christ. And what he said in that sermon was this, you people, you people, you Christian people, you're the salt of the earth. So you're the light of the world, but you're the salt of the earth. You know what salt is? Salt is an agent of change. Salt is an agent of change. Think about it for a minute. Practically speaking, salt. If I put salt on my corn, some of you are gonna go to a restaurant this afternoon. If I put salt on my corn, you might say this about it. This corn tastes salty. Why? Because it's an agent of change. You just change the flavor of the corn. You know what no one will ever say? You probably won't say this afternoon. You will because you're making fun of me. This salt tastes corny. You won't say that. Because the corn didn't change the salt. He said, you're the salt of the world. You're supposed to impact the world. But we're living in a day where the church, us, where the church is so longing to be culturally relevant and not offensive to a lost person that we're more concerned about pleasing the lost than pleasing our God. And so when you look at the church today, sometimes we'll describe the church in this way. The church is worldly. When it ought to be, that community's churchy. <laughs> That's where it ought to be. That community is churchy if the salt has left the salt shaker and done its job. And you know what Jesus said? If the salt has lost its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything. That's strong words. 
when you connect the dots? Where's the church when you look at the nation that has that moral collapse? Where's the salt? Where's the salt? I think that the answer for the woes of this world are found in the church. And when you're talking about the church, one of our struggles is this. This morning, we are so grateful. And if you are here this morning and you are saved, you and me are so grateful for God's amazing grace. Aren't you thankful for his amazing grace? We are saved by grace through faith. Not because I'm a good person. And by the way, we're talking about these different issues. I might not struggle with that issue, but I got my own struggles. In fact, I'm not saved because I'm a good person. I'm saved because I have a good God who died on a cross for my sins and yours. And today we can say, praise God for his grace. But you know what one of the struggles is with the church today? Us, we take God's grace for granted. We hold truths close to our hearts that benefit us while overlooking others. For example, we say, his grace is greater than all my sin. True. Aren't you thankful? True. The problem is, the Bible also says in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to live in sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. How absurd is that thought? And yet, we come to church and we gather together and the church is filled with people that have no conviction about robbing God, have no conviction about sitting on talents, have no conviction of pride, of gossip, of slander. And if we're not careful, we just lose our saltiness. I believe the answer for our world is found in God's people. We're in desperate need a revival in the church, a renewed passion for Jesus Christ to be exalted in my life, in my heart, and in the life of our nation. God, revive our hearts. How does it begin? Where does it begin? With each one of us. Verse 14, and my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and then goes on from there. First step, humble ourselves. Bowed heads, bowed heads. You know, one of the struggles and one of the problems that we have as a church today is we're plagued with self-righteousness. We justify ourselves because we're living in such a wicked world. 
And rather than being a holy people and saying, how much like Jesus can I be? We say, how close can the, how worldly can I be? And it ought not to be so. But we're self-righteous people. Proud. When the fact of the matter is what we must do when we see people, let's just... How many times do we look around at people who are living in sin and we say, shame on them. I can't believe they would be that way. When really a healthy attitude as a Christian, a healthy attitude as a Christian should be this. There, but by God's grace, am I. I am no better. I am no better. You take the lowliest, scummiest person on the planet. I am no better than they are. There but by God's grace go I. But you know, we struggle with self-righteousness. And so he's saying, hey, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves... In other words, just seeing you for who you really are. And pray. Bended knees. And pray. Bended knees. When you're talking about prayer, prayer, communication with God. But you know, the act of praying is really an act of utter dependence upon God Almighty. And and, and by the way, when we talk about our nation, our nation, they don't want prayer and, and, and they don't want the word of God. They don't, they don't want those things. Can I tell you something? When we're talking about prayer, I can't tell you how many people call and say, would you pray, would you pray for my loved ones who are headed to hell and they need salvation? Would you pray for them and they won't set foot in a prayer meeting at church? Not that you have to come to a prayer meeting to pray. But are we a praying people? Are we utterly and completely dependent upon God? Bended knees. My people who call by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Broken heart. broken heart that leads to repentance, not just remorse, not just remorse. I'm grateful to God to have a living God that when I find myself struggling, when I find myself in sin, there's hope. I don't just have to feel sorry and continue living like I'm living, but that I can repent. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, Psalm 51, 17 a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. This week as I was looking at this Sunday and this morning, I was praying to God and I was praying to God if he would give me a broken and contrite heart over sin. And I also asked him if he'd examine my motives. Because I think that sometimes where we fall and where we struggle as Christians is this. Ask myself the question, why do I want people to turn from 
whatever it is I want them to turn from? Is it because I want a comfortable world that I can live in? Or do I want to exalt Jesus Christ and I want them to experience life that they have in him? See, one is selfish. One is selfish. I'm just wanting the world to be comfortable. You freak me out. You're different. Stay away. You're weird. Can I tell you, they say the same thing about me and you. We're different. Do I really desire others to know Jesus Christ like I know Jesus Christ? Is the motive pure and is my heart broken? Because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can be lulled to sleep spiritually and shrug our shoulders as we look around us and say, that's just the way it is. That's the way it is. But I believe it can be better because of Jesus Christ. So God help us, God help us to be the people that he's called us to be. We desperately need revival in this land. We need an awakening across this land. But the church must be revived. When the church gets revived, we'll see an awakening. God help us. When you're talking revival, you gotta be vibe before you get revived. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you gotta have life. And the only way you have life spiritually is if you're born again. It's not through religion, it's not coming to church, it's being born again. And this morning, just asking you this question, have you ever been born again? Ever been a time in your life when you said, man, I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I recognize I have sinned and I know my sin separates me from God. And I want him to be my Lord and I want him to be my Savior and I want to live the rest of my days for Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. Ever been a time in your life when you called on his name and made that decision and said, you are Lord of my life today? Get born again. Hey, if you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of your heart, I'm inviting you to come today. Love to talk with you, love to pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, you know what? I've allowed complacency to creep up in my life spiritually. I'm inviting you before God Almighty. You don't need to talk to me or talk to somebody to repent before him. Right where you are. God, forgive me. Revive me. Revive me today. I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I would encourage you, do business with him before you walk away today. We're gonna pray, sing a song. After we sing, I'm gonna be down front. We'll have others down front to talk with you, pray with you. You come this morning. Would you join me for prayer? Father, I thank you for the day. God, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your goodness to us, Father. God, forgive me. Lord, when I stop and start considering how you have blessed me, God, your, your blessings have been abundant in my life. And yet, God, so much of the time, I'm too busy to stop and thank you. Lord, this morning, I just want to say thank you. God, I pray for our nation today. Oh God, I pray that we would stop and realize, God, that we are where we are because your hand has been upon us. You have blessed America. 
God, forgive us for where we've turned our backs on you. Lord Jesus, this morning I'm asking if you would search our hearts and search our minds. Oh God, I pray for revival in the church. God, I pray for an awakening in our land. We need you desperately. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.